0: So today we're talking about codes, ACLS, cows, all of that good stuff. And I don't know about you, but I've definitely seen some bad codes.
1: I've definitely seen some bad codes as well, as well as many good ones. Definitely a wide variety of bolts. We're gonna talk about how to, you know, how to navigate codes as a new grad, but also like just ways that like you can maybe help improve the quality of codes on your unit if this is not a well-oiled machine for you guys. So first
0: in background, my name is Chrissy, I'm a nurse anesthetist. My name's Anna. I have been a travel nurse the last couple of years. My background is in CVICU, And I am my first year. We have co-founded Confident Care Academy, which is a one-stop comprehensive resource for our new critical care nurses. We have a membership and we have lots of educational videos. We also do free education here on YouTube and on the podcast as well. So please subscribe if you want to learn more. We're really excited to have you today and to jump into our spicy topic, spicy codes. So I never experienced a code as a nursing student. I experienced them as a CNA. So I was really grateful for my experience working in healthcare coming in, but I really think that critical care is one thing that nursing school just really can't prepare you for. Yeah, so you're true. really gonna learn this on the job and in your first year or so as a new grad. Yeah, absolutely. A nurse.
1: absolutely. I feel like when I was a new grad nurse, I was in the cart and vascular ICU and so coats there were like a well-oiled machine. We had a lot of senior nurses on the unit. We had people with a lot of experience. Our attendings were very experienced, very knowledgeable. All of our daytime attendings were cardiac anesthesiologists. So they did, so it's an anesthesiologist who does a fellowship in cardiac anesthesia and critical care. So these are very
0: smart people with lots of years of experience. They're the best. I, some of the best physicians out there, love them very much. But this is also interesting. The dynamic has honestly changed since COVID. We have such a loss in experienced nursing staff. There's been a pretty large exodus from the bedside from a lot of really just senior experienced ICU nurses. So the world that you're coming into as a new critical care nurse or as a new grad is a different environment. You really are lacking those really seasoned and senior and experienced nurses who are going to kind of hold your hand through your codes. So unfortunately, you're going to have to learn a little bit more and you're going to have to do a lot of self-teaching. And that's part of why we're talking about it today because you can do some things to help make a code, a good code. So I'm excited for your perspective because as a CRNA, you carry the code pager. You will respond, you'll do airway calls. So you've seen a lot, you've seen a lot of codes. Seen many codes. Now, the good news about being a CRNA is that
1: I'm not responsible to run the code or manage the code. I show up, I throw in the tube, and it bounces. That being said, that means I end up in these situations, codes and near codes, pretty pretty frequently. You know, things that I've seen, again, I think like depending on how often you encounter these and how experienced you are, determines how smooth it's gonna go for you. I think that a really common thing is for like newer nurses to kind of like stand back and look and just feel overwhelmed or feel really pulled into a lot of directions at once. Like you kind of forget to like have one rule and stick with it. So, you know, as a new grad nurse, if it's your patient and you're the primary nurse, I think that my personal thing, And tell me if you disagree with me on this one. I think that the primary nurse should be standing like next to the head of the bed and be the one pushing the drugs and answering questions. Like that's your role. Like when someone addresses you, answer the question because they're gonna ask you about labs, patient history. Like they're gonna be like rattling questions off to you. completely agree. You know the patient best. You need to be right there to answer them. And then like you should be pushing the drugs into like your own patient. I guess other people could do it for you, but
0: like I think it makes the most sense that you're taking ownership of that patient. I completely agree. And I think that the way that I have taught my orientation in the way that I teach the people who I mentor to approach emergency situations is this is what I tell them, this is not law, this is my opinion, but I think that your first code, you should get in there and do compressions. I think if so if you are not the primary nurse. If you're not the primary yeah, so if you were just walking into the room to help, I think you should do compressions. Compressions is a, good, is a good is good Because job. you kind okay. of are going to appreciate the gravity of the situation. It's really a extraordinary measure that the medical team is trying to do to see if we can do everything that we can for a patient. Right, so I think that really gives a, a heavy sense of gravity to the situation. And it's also simple. You don't have to memorize an algorithm to do compressions. All you have to do is to do some CPR. That's also good for students, like yes. med
1: students, nursing students. If you aren't allowed to do that yet, yeah, Like, let's say you're on your extern, I'm not sure if they would be allowed to do compressions or not. They are. They are? Okay. So, uh, but I think like another role for someone who's newer could be to be a runner. That's that's, probably like the second, the second role. So your second job after your
0: first code, I say you should be do compressions. Your second code, I think you should be a runner. Or so, especially if you're a CNA, you are the ideal runner as a CNA, CNA ideal runner, because you know where all the supplies are. You know where the IV fluids are. You know where the IV start kits are. You know where the flushes are. You know where to get a trash bag. Never underestimate taking out trash in the middle of the code. I do it all the time to this day. Sometimes you got to clear the room if you're doing a surgery at the bedside. But I think that a good second role is to be a runner. This also starts to transition you to thinking big picture and to think proactively versus reactively. Which is so huge, and this is part of what, correct me if I'm wrong, that's what I think part of what makes a bad code, is people being reactive and not proactive at all, and just, like, lack of clarity. I I think, yeah, so, like, the number one thing that
1: makes a bad code is when you don't have a code leader. That's, like, the worst thing you can do, right? And I think that that's usually how things start, right? Cause the patient's slowly circling the drain. People are gathering in the room, filling the room. They're people watching. are trying to help. They're all putting their, everybody's like, did you do this? Did you think of this? They're all jumping into different roles. Yep. And then there's like a lot of chaos building. And then the patient codes. And usually the first thing that happens is people, somebody shouts out that the patient's coded. The next thing is someone jumps on the chest. And then I feel like the next thing is your brain freezes. Yep. You're like, okay, now what? Right? Yep. Like if you're in the ICU, you can pull a code belt. If you're not in the ICU, you are going to have to delegate to somebody to call a code overhead to yep. the opposite so that the rapid response team can come and help you run the code. So like in that meantime, having people have clear roles, like, so like in the ICU, you're not gonna have a, a team come save you, right? You are the team, so clear roles, identify a code leader early, Yep. but then like in the meantime, like, let's say you're on a step-down floor or a med surge floor, like anywhere besides the ICU, yeah. like in the meantime, establish clear, clear roles as well and have somebody leading the code until the new code leader gets there. Like that is a
0: really important thing to do. Absolutely, and as a learner and as a new critical care nurse, I think that the transition from doing CPR to then being a runner and then the next role that I recommend is watching the recorder. So if you can watch the recorder for a couple of codes, yeah, and you take your ACLS at the same time, you're starting to see and internalize what the flow of the code is going to be. That's a good one. And then oftentimes in units where the it depends on who the provider is and who's going to respond to be running the code. Sometimes if it's a code where the physician or the provider needs to be doing a surgery or like a procedure. Yeah. they won't be running it when they get there. So it's just gonna to totally depend. And then a lot of times the resident team will come and then like they will call the code. It totally depends. That being said, a lot of times the recorder is also the code leader for a while. Yeah. And that is a huge role to start to understand as a new nurse, to understand the flow of, okay, we're in the PEA algorithm. We're just giving epi every two minutes. Or, hey, we're in the Pulsus VTAC algorithm. What are we going to do? We're going to shock every two minutes. We're going to give Epi, Amio and Epi, and then shock and then continue. And then this is one thing that I've done everywhere that I go. If you are going to a lot of different facilities, sometimes they're going to have different paperwork flow sheets for their coding. recording. Sometimes it's on Epic. Sometimes it's paper charting. Regardless, something that I do personally as a traveler is I get a dry erase marker and I start writing on the glass outside and I'm also calling the code so that whoever comes in after me can see clearly the chain of events. So I'll go yeah, that's a good idea. 0001 000, or like 2001, 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005. And then I'll write out minute by minute everything that's going to happen and then I write when we push at B, when we get the shock. So then whoever comes in can see it and it's blown up enough there's not going to be a handwriting issue because a lot of times people will say oh I've been recording and they're scribbling on a paper towel with a sharpie and who knows what they said. And that is not a great way So to do don't be the Sharpie person because no. <laughs> on the code
1: cart, there's always a flow sheet. Yeah. So use the flow sheet. Another thing that newer nurses get caught up in is they're so used to only documenting in electronic medical records like yeah. Epic. People will often waste time double documenting by documenting in Epic. Like do not do that. Do not be writing down all your vital signs and timestamps and events in Epic. The protocol is to use the paper flow sheet Forget and epic. Yeah, yeah,
0: and if and that's one thing as if you know your policy and you know exactly where the paper flow sheet, where it is, use the paper flow sheet. And the only thing only reason I've used glass is because sometimes I don't know where the paper flow sheet is, what it looks like, etc. The glass but is yeah. good to
1: Anna is using the glass to update the people in the room as to what's going on. That's different than being the recorder. Like, that's a separate thing she's talking about, right? You're not talking about being the person who's recording the code and like writing on the flow sheet and then you're doing it on the glass instead.
0: I often am doing it on the glass because there's nobody who is also calling everything. So you're directing the room, writing on the glass, people can see it, and then I can transcribe it to the paper after the fact. You're transcribing to paper after the fact. So yeah. I would literally have do that, but that's okay. Okay. <laughs> We're different people. <laughs> that's okay. Because then you're doing it a second time. People sometimes can't read on the flow sheet, and then if someone else comes in and they're trying to give X, Y, Z, or change something or another. That also being said, I've got new facilities all the time. So yeah. if I was super familiar with the paper flow sheet, I would probably just do that.
1: Yeah, that's, like, a big thing to keep in mind. Like, you will have to get to know, like, your facility's resources, right? So, like, you know, writing the glass, cool. But the point is you shouldn't be in in the electronic medical record and double documenting. That is, like, a big no-no. In fact, it could actually cause a lot of confusion and discrepancies between the two records. Yeah. And the ultimate record, like, that's going to be used in court is going to be the paper sheet. So that's why I'm talking about, like, don't go into Epic. It's not don't write on a glass
0: board. It's don't. Be wasting your
1: time at it. Yeah, so that's like a very important. And then
0: this is where, so this kind of dialogue here, this is where I recommend shadowing. <laughs> the person who is recording for a couple of codes. Yeah. So you see how your facility does it. So you see exactly what those resources are. You start to internalize the flow of ACLS and to see what their role looks like as they're also calling a code. So yeah, I would and, say- And what do you mean by out. saying
1: calling a code? Like that is like, like so what do you mean specifically by so calling see, it? Are you so talking see, about like, calling like, out the things that are
0: happening? Okay, so you're just talking about calling a code.
1: Yeah, code. Okay, yeah. okay, okay, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Just got it. Cause to me when I get calling a <laughs> code, I'm thinking- Calling like, which? Okay, got gotcha. it. So, yeah. or, your code. Code. so the other thing to keep in mind is like a lot of times, like you will, so like, let's say a code leader comes, like the rapid response team comes or like a, a NP or like physician comes, then they like step in and become code leader, right? A yeah. person who's recording, what I've seen many times and what I think is really great role is to like, okay, so not only are you recording and like keeping people updated on like how, like what's been given and XYZ and answering questions when they ask, mm-hmm. but keeping in mind the timestamps, like every two minutes, yeah. Being the person who just keeps the eye on the clock and saying, It's been two minutes, like that is a really great job for the person who is recording because you are the only person
0: in the room who has probably an eye on a aware lot of the time. Yeah. yeah. So and then that is where as you're shadowing the person who is, or like not shadowing, but as you're observing the person who is recording, someone who's good at recording is going to be saying 30 seconds till Epi, 15 seconds till next shock. You're giving the people in the room who are in a tunnel vision, audible cues to get ready for the next step. And then it goes both ways. When adrenaline is rushing, it both feels like time goes by super fast. So people want to give drugs too fast. And sometimes, especially during PEA arrest codes, it feels like it goes by super slow. So people want to, people are really antsy to go ahead and give it when it's not time yet. Yeah. So that is where it's really important for you to be watching the clock, giving audible, like verbal cues to everybody in the room to also, you need to be communicating with the person who is drawing up meds. You need to say, go ahead and draw up the next epi, draw the next amio, whatever, whoever is doing close it. Close-lip communication. And then that, that's the next thing. <laughs> no, I was about to say, you to into it because it's so important.
1: Yeah, close-lip communication is huge because so many times, like, people will think that they hear you or they'll hear another person yeah. and, like, they're all playing whisper down the lane. And if you're not working with a well-oiled machine, like a team who does this all the time, mm-hmm. people won't close the loop. So they'll be like, draw up Epi. And then like someone may or may not have heard it. Maybe they drew it up and they thought you said give it. And then they give it and it's not time. And they'll be like, when did we give the last Epi? And you be like, a minute ago. go. you're like, how was I supposed to give it yet? Like this happens all the time. So, you know, make sure that you are closing the loop by saying, drawing up Epi. Like, okay, like give the epi, giving one milligram of epinephrine, like, and then, like, just make sure you say it before you do it and that you make eye contact with that person and that they hear you and, like, they confirm that,
0: like, yes, that's what I want. And whoever is giving you directions needs to make eye contact with you and then you need to repeat back to them. That's exactly what Chrissy just said. We're just repeating it again. So it'll. She's closing the loop of communication. We're closing the loop of communication right now. I'll say draw magnesium, then you're saying I'm drawing magnesium. And yeah. then you'll say, as the code leader, you're going to say 15 seconds until next Epi. I usually say 30, I usually say like, I like 30. I usually like 30 gives people enough time. So you say, okay, 30 seconds till next step B, And then the person needs to repeat back to you, 30 seconds till next step B, And then you say, give Epi And then one milligram of Epi given. And then you write it down. So that you just have to have that A to B and then B to A conversation for every single step. Yeah, shocks like, yeah. Um, 30 seconds till next shock. Okay. All right. Clear. Rhythm check. Shock. Yeah, exactly. yeah. 30 seconds till next rhythm check. Okay. Clear. Everybody clear. So just, is it sing-songy almost? And a really well-oiled machine for a code is actually gonna be pretty quiet in the room. It should be pretty quiet, yeah.
1: So like, that's another really important thing to, that you can do, like if you're the primary nurse especially, you can ask people to step out. If there's yes. too many people and the noise is getting loud, you can ask people to be quiet and you can ask people to step out. And it's not mean and people will know that you're doing the right thing. Yep. And they'll be impressed if you're taking charge of the room, quite frankly. Yep. Other like, side note coming to my head is that like, when you are not a rapid response team and you're not mm-hmm. doing this every day, mm-hmm. it can be hard to like, remember the sequence of events. Like we all take ACLS and stay brushed up on it, but
0: in Maybe emergency, it all the time.
1: your adrenaline's going, like it's like hard to sometimes remember like, oh, and this algorithm, this or that change. The most important way to stay really current on this and to make sure we're all on the same page is visual cues, cue cards. That is like a really big thing that is done at top institutions. So a lot of them will have different code kits where like, you know, like on the code part, everybody gets like a name tag or a You're role right. or a spot on the floor. Like they're different hospitals do it different ways. Yeah. So like clear role assignments and then also having like like these cue cards that bring you through the algorithm. So like here is the PEA algorithm and I'm looking at it and the person running the code can have it in front of them and like make sure that we've done all the steps and like they will shout out, have we gone through H's and T's? And then they'll talk about it and you'll do the closeup and you as the primary nurse will answer those questions. Like, and you'll be constantly reviewing and checking yourself with that visual cue card. So if yep. you're in a unit that doesn't have one of these systems yet, that's a really great quality improvement project for you to dive into, especially if you're one of those people who's interested in going back to grad school, you know? That'll be a really good QI project. Quality improvement project. You know, just saying. <laughs> anyway, it's a big deal, right? Like, having your code run smoothly could make a really big difference
0: for your patient. Absolutely. Also, I don't have this written down, but I did want to touch briefly on this. So, family and codes. Ooh, do they stay or not stay? I am of the opinion unless there's a pre-existing contraindication to having family in the room, like something where there is a known relationship barrier or like the patient doesn't want that family member in the room because they're not a part of their care team, something like that, oftentimes as nurses, we think that we're protecting the patient's family member from seeing something that's really traumatic and difficult. And it but, is. oftentimes on the flip side, I believe I've even seen some research that it helps with closure. Yeah. If they see that the medical team is doing, doing everything they can, everything. and then oftentimes, those in those moments, they can see how extreme a code is, and yeah. they, at that point, are like, let's make my family member comfortable. We want them to be comfortable. They're able to get that choice, like yeah. almost like an informed
1: decision, right? When right. you truly understand, it becomes an informed decision, right. as opposed to if they're hiding in the hallway because they've been kicked out, because they want to be out there like that's a right. personal choice of course not everybody wants to see something that upsetting but like you know they're kicked out into the hallway and they don't really understand what a code looks like right other than like Bray's anatomy and they're like of course i want you to do everything for my husband well because it's from a tv show it's from they have the tv version right yeah. and so when they see like what's really going on they can make a more informed choice and have that closure which sure. is
0: whatever choice they decide to make but i also one thing one of the really good nurses who i watched and absorbed a lot of their traits as a nurse. When I was a CNA, she was a primary nurse. And so she would be in charge of meds. But then after the first couple of rounds of medication, as a primary nurse, especially if she already had a relationship with the family, she would de- delegate one round of giving the epi to the next nurse standing there. And she would go and get the family members, bring them in, and then like sit them with her so that she could like, like, explain what's going on. Explain what's going on. Yeah, that's cool. And then also have them like Watching and then educating. This is also a good role for the charge nurse It's to have the charge nurse come in It's arguably better for the charge nurse Especially if you are a newer nurse and you're not completely sure of the flow for an emergency situation But if you can get the family in there to have them just make an informed decision about what the best plan is going to be for their family Or even just
1: to support them in that moment Like it doesn't
0: have to be talking It
1: can just be like sitting there with them and like just being silent with them and like supporting them but Someone needs to be delegated to yeah. be with them. Like, don't just leave them in the corner. No, like, no. They so need a person. A
0: nurse needs to be
1: with the family as their... And it should, the nurse, like, yeah. it should be a nurse, not a student. Like, it should be a nurse who knows and can help guide them through that process. Because yep. we're really good at that as nurses. That's one of our best strengths. So I think
0: we're pretty good with people sometimes. Yeah. So let's, like, utilize that, you know? I agree. Briefly, really quickly, one thing for... Because I know we have a lot of students and we have a lot of members who are new CVICU nurses. This will be policy dependent at your a hospital in your facility, but many of the larger academic medical centers who have the cardiac surgery programs, they don't go by ACLS for post-sternotomy patients. They go by CALS. And essentially, again, the best thing to do is to have the algorithm up in front of you. And the real only difference that you need to know starting off as a new grad working in your patient who is post-open sternotomy codes. Meaning open chest, like open after chest. cardiac surgery. So if you open the chest and then they close the chest and it's typically within you know, a set specified period of time and they go into V-Fib, the first move is that you're gonna shock, 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 and then move towards opening the chest. Yeah. After the first three shocks, you do begin CPR. So the only real difference is if you see your patient going to VF, instead of immediately starting CPR, you're going to shock first. And yeah. you should have a defibrillator every, like, couple of rooms and just throw it on. You should be able to def- defibrillate within two minutes easily of... Um, if you're in that type of unit, you should, should yep. probably like, getting one there. And then this is, you should have a whole education with your nurse educator about like your open chest codes. You should have a whole education day about all of this. So we're not really super getting into it. The real main takeaways are if it's a V-fib arrest, you usually shock first and then start CPR. And then you're not going to give epi unless told to and directly by your cardiac surgeon.
1: And the reasoning for this is because if it's a fresh post-op patient Mm -hmm. and your patient's coding, it's very likely that it's a surgical bleed, right? Mm -hmm. So like we're trying to, in this patient population, correct the problem, like the the patient's probably tamponated. They're probably probably tamponated. So, you know, giving a bunch of epi, like in fact, could actually make the problem worse and basically because you're going to like increase bleeding by increasing the blood pressure like and then you're going to contract down like a heart that's like being squished like this. So the idea is that sternotomy, reopening the chest. They're gonna be able to suck out all that blood, all that clot, release the pressure on the heart. So, you know, shocking is like, you're gonna you know, get them out of v hopefully, buy yourself some time, delaying compressions, compre- squishing down on a bleed is going to maybe not be super ideal, but we have to do it. We have to keep up circulating the blood in the meantime and then, you know, getting that chest back open. That's why it's different. There's always a reason behind things, right? So you wanna like stop, think about it and ask about it.
0: Which, and then also there's cardiac surgery programs that don't follow the new CALS protocol. So if your facility doesn't, follow your policy. It's always like go with whatever your facility is training you to do. Definitely. But then, yeah, kind of circling it back for actionable item. Oh, really quickly, the last thing, debriefs. I love them. Debriefs are so good. We're really good at debriefs at my hospital. I have to say, oh, wow. I'm very proud of that. Snaps, we're, we're very into the debrief. I think that debriefs, especially for newer nurses, are so important because it is, you're watching something really traumatic and very and very sad. Oftentimes happen, yeah. and you might be really close with the patient. Right, yeah, sucks. So, so it's like a loss for you too.
1: We don't really like absolutely. admit
0: that, but it is. And it's not normal to do a code for like an hour and then to go right back into your walkie-talkie patient right next like, door. Here's your grandpa, yeah. sir. And like you have to do that. That's the reality. Of it. You have to do that, but I think the debrief first is really important for holding space for healthcare workers. To, for them to hold
1: space and quality improvement is and really the thing. Yeah, yeah. so like, there's... what have gone
0: better in a non-blamey way, right? Don't be well, blaming. And then the the debrief is both to like hold space for like healthcare workers, but also largely for QI. Yeah, it's like okay, well. What can we do better next time? Was there any communication gaps? Was there confusion? And what clarity? did we do well? We should yeah. be
1: encouraging people. So what did we do well? Should be like the first thing we say, right? Yeah. Like, and then like talk about all things, you know, Ashley, I really liked how you did this and that. Anna, I really loved that you did glass on the, put all the stuff on the glass. I never would have thought to do that. <laughs> Cause I love paper so much. I'm so <laughs> glad you told me that today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do that so from bad. now on. That's so funny. And, um, you know, but then, like, you know, and then, okay, so, like, what things could have gone better, like, okay, we could have identified a code leader sooner. Yeah. Okay, I wish that I delegated a runner sooner. Okay, well, that's all right. We you know for next time. How are you feeling? Are you okay? Is there anything we could do to support you? Do you need a few minutes? We're going to get the chargers to check on, you know, hopefully people have already been taking care of their location, but yeah. we're going to give you a few more minutes before you have to go back into your assignment. The chargers, ideal
0: as a first, your first or two as a new nurse. If the charge nurse doesn't initiate with you, you should initiate with them just to have a minute. Yeah, can we debrief? Because it's, you know, it's It's a big deal. It's a big deal as new nurses dealing with, you know, at end of life scenarios that can be very stressful. So, and I think also you should allow yourself a minute, not a long time, maybe, maybe like 10 minutes before going back into your other patient's room. Yeah,
1: give yourself a breather. Just like get some coffee, drink drink some water, water, do a lap.
0: Do a lot of laps helpful. In the a lap is everything. great and then also try to do some positive self-talk during that time. I did. not, not every, your fault. It's usually not your fault. Not your fault. not your fault. I did everything I could for that patient. We ensured that they were going to have everything done that we could for them. The family was able to make the decision that was right for this patient and we did everything that we could. That's a good little yeah. thing it's to it's say. It's a good mantra. Yeah.
1: And not just that like learning the skill set of putting feelings, putting your big feelings in a little box mm. and putting it on the shelf for later. Yeah. So compartmentalization is like an adaptive coping mechanism for dealing with traumatic events. Compartmentalizing yeah. means putting like emotions into different sections of your brain and just dealing with one at a time. Yeah. And that's like a very essential skill to master as a nurse. Mm-hmm. You wanna be careful that it doesn't become just repressing your emotions and just never accessing them again. So like, you know, take a few moments, like feel the feelings, take a deep breath, put the big feelings in a little box, put the box on a shelf, and when you go home that night, make sure you open the box back up and look at it. Yep. And you know, process it, and then you can go back on the shelf again.
0: And we have a YouTube video here for tips for like, coping with night shift and one here for new grad anxiety. It's really a, it's a steep learning curve, both just with the nature of the work that we do, emotionally dealing with it, but then also just all of the volume of things that you have to learn. So be really kind to yourself because you're doing really impactful work. You are with people in some of the worst days and some of the last days of their life. And that is, that's something that's not to be taken lightly. You're doing a great job. Yeah.
1: So, and I do want to encourage you guys and mention, like, it does get better. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I remember how overwhelming everything felt to me as a new grad nurse and how yeah. I thought, like, everything was my fault. Like, I must have caused the AFib. I must have missed something and they coded. Like, I did something wrong, right? I internalized it's, everything. It's not your fault. The older we get, we were like, no, that person was really sick and this was kind of inevitable and yeah. we did everything we could, you know? And, like, even if there are things you could have done better, right? Like, you learn for next time. Like, you can't beat yourself up eternally. You're still a learner. Yep. But, um, you know, like I look back at my career and I've been, I started as a new grad nurse in 2013. It's now 2022, so like nine years later and, you know, I feel like I've, Run codes in the OR. I've handled like all sorts of like wild traumas and like directed emergencies. And like I just feel like I felt like I'd never be the one like directing the emergency. I always felt like I'd be the eternal runner. Just that's kind of how I felt like for years. And then oh, yeah. finally, like one day, like you just have to step up and it just falls into place and it clicks. And you're like, damn, it's I, repetition. I wish that 2013, Chrissy. could see you. I could chills. see 2022, Chrissy. Like it's
0: pretty cool. It's repetition, and it doesn't happen all at once. And it's gotta, gotta be patient years of you know she's been CRNA at a couple places that are just super high acuity with really sick patients so you oh, wow. see some wild stuff in the OR and you are not gonna walk in as a new grad with two months of experience and know everything yeah so, don't compare like your day zero as a new grad to like you're seeing nurses you're 30 or
1: like the yeah. attendings you're 10 like you just got here you're just got here <laughs> it's your day zero
0: it's your day zero be really kind to yourself and we also are going over Emergency management, ACLS stuff in the new to ICU membership, yeah. and we are also doing heart failure and cardiac and uh, like ECMO, LVADs oh devices. God, we're doing a lot. We're doing <laughs> a lot in December, so come join out. us. Come join us in the membership and comment what you would like to hear from us here on the YouTube podcast version. Yes. Yeah, so
1: membership, guys, link below. New to ICU. It's at ConfidentCareAcademy.com. Exclusive lectures, downloads. Live Q&As, you're gonna get all of it. So we'd love to see you there. And in meantime, come join us here. We will be back. We'll be back. Thanks, bye.